All right. So glad you can join us for God's Word today, series in Joseph, book of Genesis. What a great, great series. I pray that God's blessing you through that. So many good lessons coming from life. I'm thoroughly enjoying going through that, meditating on it, cross-referencing it, and asking God to supply thought and impetus to what we learn from His Word. And there's a whole lot there. Imagine how good heaven's going to be when we find out even all the other issues that have been hidden to us so far in Scripture that will be opened up to us. Just a quick word about, as people ask when we're getting back and when we'll be able to get back together in here, we're looking at those issues and waiting on uh, just some further instruction on what we need to do and what we'd have to do to make that happen. So we're a little ways off from that yet. Uh, Just because we legally can, uh, we have some things to take care of here and some of the cleaning, some of the other issues of how we do and practice social distancing and those kinds of things. So we're working all that. But let me say this to you. Regardless of when we get back, we are still the church. and We're the church inside the walls and outside the walls. And you're all doing a spectacular job taking care of one another. When I hear from folks that have had physical issues, and we've got several now that have had some very big issues in their lives health-wise, and you just take care of the body so well. Thank you. Thank you for supporting what we're doing. We're having a blessing just giving out these bags of groceries to our folks that have lots of needs in our community. God is blessing and working. So thank you for staying with us, for loving us, and praying as we're praying for you, and God is working. As we go forward today, And Bubba's new book, Bubba's book of country fiction and made-up fables, he tells and includes in it a story about a frog swimming in a pond, and lo and behold, at the edge of the bank there, he finds a lantern. He takes the top off the lantern, and out comes a genie. That's why it's called Bubba's book of country fiction and made-up fables. The genie says, I've got some really good news for you since you've opened up this lantern. The frog says, what is it? Jeannie says, you're going to meet a beautiful woman. The frog says, what is the appointed time that I'm to meet this woman? The genie says, you will meet this woman next week. The frog is so excited. He says, where will I meet this woman? The genie hesitates for about a moment. And he says, you'll meet her in her biology class next week. Right? Bad but good, right? (laughs) Appointed time. Appointed time. A lot of the message today has to do with the appointed time. God gave Joseph some instruction in a dream, and Joseph has been waiting a really long time for the appointed time. But we're going to see today, God promised it, and the appointed time came. And I say to you, No matter what instance you have maybe going on in your life, no matter where you are, the appointed time will come. The appointed time will come because God has promised us. Let's get into God's Word in Genesis chapter 42. We flip the pages. We're in chapter 42. We're starting in verses 1 and 2. It says, When Joseph learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you just keep looking at each other? He continued, I've heard there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. 
Now, I don't know about you, but there's some really bizarre things that are going to come from these words. Before we do, dissect that a little bit. Quick reminder, because it's very easy to forget. Do you realize that famines affected the three patriarchs of Israel? They affected Abraham, they affected Isaac, they affected Jacob. All three of them went through famine, hardship, and trial. But I think it's very interesting that as we get to chapter 42, we see Jacob. Remember many times Jehovah referred to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the church patriarchs. Ask yourself, well, why did these men go through famines? We have uh, Abraham going through famine. It records it in Genesis 12.1. We have Isaac going through famine. That's recorded in Genesis 26.1. And we have Jacob now in the midst of a famine in Genesis 41 and 42. What is about famines? What is about hardship? Well, the great thing about our God is he knows how to test metal. And Times of hardship, times of famine in our lives are times where God is testing us, asking us to look at him and trust him. The issue with the famine goes very deep. You see, eating's a habit for all of us, isn't it? And God wants us willing to say, God, if I'm to starve, so be it. I'm going to do all I can to live. But he was looking for these patriarchs to have that same heart. If I don't live... I'm still going to trust, with, trust in you, just like Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego said. Even though they said God can save us out of this fire, if he doesn't, we're still going to go into the fire because we believe in him. God brought hardship and famine and trial into the lives of three people we know thousands of years later. I just think it's, it's not a mere coincidence that all three of those church patriarchs were the ones that went through this time of life. So how does God use famines? I'll tell you one of the big reasons he does. He uses the hardships of this world to wean us from the world, doesn't he? Sometimes we can get in the midst of some things in life and we just long for heaven. And the word of God says that we'll be those that thirst and hunger after righteousness. There's something about that. And sometimes, I don't know about you, I'm looking at the news or I'm reading a story or understanding something that's happened on this earth. And I just sometimes don't like the rules of the earth, the way of sin, the way of lies and duplicity, the way that sometimes things are portrayed in media, portrayed in business, and portrayed in families, frankly. You see, God uses these hardships. He weans us from the world because the world is what we're used to. We feel the world, we see the world, we know the world. And I thought to myself, and probably you have also, why why is it like that? But ladies and gentlemen, unless there were hardships in life, would we learn how to trust God like we really need to trust him? See, if everything went well all the time, and the people say, even now, why is there this virus? Why is God allowing this virus? Well, take a look here. The hardships of this world wean us from the world. And there's many people, as I've read stories of issues of people that have passed in New York City, and they have to try to get all these people that have passed together. It's just some ugly stories. I thought, oh, my goodness. 
the poor people, and even some of our members that can't see their loved ones that are in the hospitals right now, they cannot even go into the hospital. We just, we hurt for them. These hardships help us to pull away from this world. And I want you to see how God used hardships in the lives of the patriarchs in this passage of Scripture that you may be familiar with. It's in the Hebrews Hall of Fame chapter. Let's look at it together in Hebrews eleven fourteen through 16. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have an opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country. Have you ever just been longing for a better country? A heavenly one. That's the one I'm talking about. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Longing for a better country, a heavenly one. And those people, and it's talking about those people in the Hall of Fame chapter in the book of Hebrews. They were longing for that place. Sometimes God has to just pry our hands from some of the things of the world to let us know this is a temporal place. It goes so fast. I spoke to my mother just a few moments ago before I came into this room and said to her, Mom, doesn't childhood go fast? And she just laughed. My mom will be 92 and on June 10th. She just laughed. I said, boy, it's, I know it's, it went fast for me. I know that probably is a blink in your memory. It does go fast. This earth is temporal. And God uses these hardships to wean us away from the things we think are going to last forever because they're not. The patriarchs, those in the Hall of Fame chapter of faith, were longing for a new home, a new city, a heavenly home that God has prepared for them. What a great, great thing. And you see, I pray today that if you get nothing else, you're seeking a better country, a better place. And that's not to mock this place down here. God wants us to have all this plus heaven. We're to be effective down here for him, and God's given us the privilege of serving him down here. Use it while you can, because it does go fast, and the changeability of the world is incredible. We've seen one of the biggest changes, well, in my whole lifetime, as far as the shutdowns and all are involved. It's incredible. God says in heaven, there is no need for change because it's perfect. Let's get back to our passage in Genesis 42, back to an incredible question that Jacob poses to the 10 brothers. And here it is. Why, why do you just keep looking at each other? Now, I can get the picture. They're in Jacob's home. They're sitting around probably some room in there. And Jacob knows, along with the brothers, that there's a famine there. There's no food, but there's food in Egypt. And Jacob's trying to pry them off their seat. Why do you just keep looking at each other? You see, Jacob doesn't know what the real problem was, does he? Because they hid the lie and the duplicity from their father. The brothers were aware there was a famine. The brothers saw there were travelers and caravans making their way to Egypt. And the brothers knew that there was grain in Egypt. Jacob knew and so did the brothers. They knew it. So what's the issue? Why were they kind of paralyzed in that room? Why are they looking at each other and wondering what, what they need to do? 
What is all that about? There's a whole lot there. I want to look at a little bit of it. Why does Joseph suggest the obvious? You see, the brother's biggest issue wasn't grain. The biggest issue that Joseph's brothers had was ingrained in their consciences. Do you know what that was? A guilty conscience. Their big problem wasn't the grain. Their big problem was the ingrained guilt in their mind. Because Egypt to them, instead of being the land of blessing, the land where they could find blessing and what God had provided through a godly man, that land, that name became kind of a curse to them, didn't it? We see as we look at the the issue that's involved here, a guilty conscience immobilized Joseph's brothers even more than the issue of starving to death. Do you know, sometimes people ask a question when someone may have a substance abuse issue. Why do they keep doing that? Why do they see, seem immobilized? Why do they keep going back to the same thing? I would say to you after years of meeting with different people from many different walks of life that have had substance abuse issues, many of them carry with them a guilty conscience. And slowly and surely, they kill themselves. They commit slow suicide. They're immobilized by the guilt of that conscience. Some of the guilt that comes inherent in abuse by neglecting families, neglecting jobs, some of the different sins that people get involved in. A guilty conscience. And listen, let me say this to you. You don't have to have a substance abuse issue to have a guilty conscience. Guilty consciences exist all throughout humanity. And what is interesting, though, when you ask the question about substance abuse people, why do they do that? Why are they killing themselves? These brothers are sitting there doing nothing, immobilized, and the thought of going to Egypt paralyzed them more than the thought of getting some food so they wouldn't die. It's very much a picture of what happens when people have this guilty conscience. You become immobilized in some ways. And you may be out there today and be immobilized by a guilty conscience for something. Let me just say this to you. The appointed time will come. Ingrained in the brain, but not uh, not ingrained in the word of God. Had they done what was right to begin with, none of this would have happened. But God is so wise. God is all-knowing. We'll see as this continues to unfold how God has worked in this. And it may look right now in your life that there's something weighing on your heart that's so heavy. You say, I could never, I could never lift this off of me. You may be right, but God can. Stay with me, okay? God looked at this place and the very place of survival, as I said, was something that they didn't want to get involved in. It was a survival and the blessing that God had provided. And it's the place called Egypt. It became a dreadful name to them. And the other question people often ask when someone has a, an issue in life, why, why don't they like church? Why don't they like the word of God? Why don't they want to be in our discipleship group? Well, sometimes the place of survival and blessing can become a dreadful name because we feel the guilt. And perhaps there may be one or two of you out there or more that haven't gotten involved in one because you feel shame, you feel guilt. Why 
oh, why would I want to go to that? I, I don't know enough about God's word or I've done this in my life or I still don't have total victory over some things in my life. Dear friend, God's not waiting for you to get perfect before you start getting involved in the things of the kingdom. Get involved first. Get beyond the feeling to the fact. But you see, guilt is a very hard thing to overcome, isn't it? Isn't it? Because with guilt comes shame. The brothers are sitting there with their father and they're ashamed. What they should have been doing is going to provide some food for their family, for their father, for their family, their wives and their kids. But they're immobilized in guilt. I know you know what I'm talking about. They're immobilized in guilt and can't do it until Jacob says, why are you just sitting there? Why do you do that? Unbelievable. The memory of an awful sin. You see, God can wash away the stain of our guilt. God can do it. And today may be your appointed time to do that. The appointed time will come. I pray it's today for you. I want you to see this passage about what God as, as he reflects on sin, although it's in Jeremiah 2.22, although you wash yourselves with soda and use an abundance of soap, your stain of your guilt is still before me, declares the sovereign Lord. So let me ask you, is the stain of your sin still before God? Have you not gone to him yet to say, God, would you please remove this from me? You have forgiven me, but God, I can't forgive myself. I can't go forward. I haven't talked to you about this. I haven't given you the whys and whatevers and talked to you about this. You see, Joseph's brothers could have done that a long time ago, but now they're in a place immobilized. And let me say this to you, because you might think, well, you know, pastor, I've been carrying my guilt for a long time. These brothers have been carrying this for over 20 years, more than two decades of carrying this. Who knows all the conversations over the years they had where Joseph's name came up, where Egypt came up, where the memory came up of seeing that caravan go over the horizon, their brother in chains going to be sold, the thoughts that some of them recommended that they kill their brother and repeating and repeating and repeating. If there's something you need to repent of, or go to someone and, and, and tell and apologize, do it. Get rid of it. Get rid of the stain. Because I can tell this to you, that unless you do, you'll remain immobilized to be the most effective people God wants you to do and to be. He wants us to be effective. And it doesn't come by just sitting there. It doesn't fix anything. He says, come to me, be honest, have the fortitude to come to me because I love you and deal with it. And then take the steps to get rid of the guilt. I know some of you have made inappropriate decisions in your dating life, perhaps, or in your business life, or in your private life in your mind with a, a screen on a phone or a laptop. I know that. What a great day to get rid of that. Are you tired of hiding like a roach in a corner? Go to your God. He's like, I still see you're saying, let him use the stain remover. Go to him and say, God, this time I come to you again. I'm tired of looking at my spouse, my date, my record, and, and, and seeing it tarnished with this. God, I've made some mistakes. I'd like to start fresh. You see, some people with guilt start a process in their life. It's a process of addiction. You see, guilt and shame can be addictive. 
and it becomes a cycle. I feel guilty. I feel, I'll do the same thing. It drives us back the same. You've already done it. Might as well do it again. I don't have victory over there. We should have had it by now. We think victory will be easy because we do it in our own power. You can't do it in your own power. The brothers didn't do it. They've carried this for all these years, all the times they met, all the times they talked, all the times they're out there shepherding the sheep out there talking about it. They didn't come to a solution. God's got the solution. The stain of your guilt is still before me. Get rid of it. The appointed time will come. I pray today's the appointed time to get rid of that. Let's look at Genesis 42, verses 3 through 5. It says, then Joseph's brothers, finally, and his dad says, get off your sorry chairs and go do something. The 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others because he was afraid. Don't lose that. There's incredible power in what's being said here. He was afraid that harm might come to him. So Israel's sons were among those who went to buy grain, for there was famine in the land of Canaan also. Unbelievable. We see something that's very powerful here. I don't want you to miss it. Jacob doesn't send Benjamin. Why? Because he was afraid that harm might come to him. You may think your sin is private. You may think that no one else knows. Jacob didn't know. No one else in the family knew. The brothers knew. I'll tell you who else knew. God knew. And I'll tell you what happens with sin. Even if you're looking at the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing, it affects your relationships. It affects how you look at your next date, how you look at your spouse, how you look at your children, how you look at your boss, how you look at your brothers, how you look at your church, how you look at the fellowship. It affects everything. There is no vacuum for sin. It affects everything. It causes us to lie to ourselves, to hide behind a shroud of lies and look like we're okay when we're not. You see, Jacob doesn't send Benjamin. Think about this. Joseph's brother's sin was still impacting Jacob over 20 years later. Isn't that incredible? Dear friend, if you think that there's some sin in your life that only you and God have, you've got control of that, you are mistaken. God wants you to deal with it because sin does bring harm to other people. You don't give to your spouse what only your spouse deserves. You don't give to your dating life what only your dating life deserves. You don't give to your church what your church deserves, what your fellow believers deserve, what your boss deserves. It affects everything. That's why I love that it tells us. Why does it tell us this? Out of all the things it could be written about the brothers going down to Egypt, it tells us why Jacob doesn't send Benjamin because he had fear. People that cause others fear are people that are oftentimes bringing sin into their lives. Sometimes a friend, a spouse, co-worker finds out something. It begins to bring fear like, will they do that again? Will they keep looking? Will they keep seeing? Will they keep staying with that habit? Will they make another mistake in that way? You see, it's not private. It causes issues. That's why God wants us to repent and go on so we can make us new. Deal with it and get beyond it. 
I'm not sending Benjamin because the stain of that sin has impacted me so much that a couple of decades later, I'm not going to ever see my other son again. I won't let him go. I have too much fear in my life. And there's great news that comes out of this. You see, there's great news. If you go back to that last slide, thank you. There you are. Joseph's brother's sin, as well hidden as they kept it, wasn't hidden from God. Go forward. I want you to see as we go forward with this what's going to happen. By the way, the appointed time will come. Now, Joseph was the governor of the land, the one who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brother arrived, if you've been waiting for these many, 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 many weeks to see what would happen with Joseph's dream, you have to look no further than Genesis 42.6. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. I, I have chills just even reading that and thinking about that. It's unbelievable, isn't it? Now, let's go and let's look at this a little bit and dissect it some. The brothers come, they bow down. They not only bow, the Bible tells us with their faces to the ground. They are bowing the most humble bow that anyone could ever bow, all the way to the ground with their faces to the ground. There was a time, as you go back to Genesis 37, that that looked like it would be impossible. Sin thought it could cover over anything that Joseph had happened in his life. He's not going to be the one we're going to bow down to. In fact, it looked impossible, didn't it? If the story just stopped there, that Joseph gets sold into slavery, it seemed, well, that's what happened. What a terrible thing. This fulfillment of what God said happens in verse 6 of chapter 42. It seemed impossible at the time, but Joseph's dream was literally fulfilled. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to park here for a minute and just say this. When God talks about something literally in his word, you don't have to candy coat it. You don't have to hide behind it. You don't have to think, well, maybe that means this. There are times the Bible speaks in metaphor, but there's many times when it's literal. People have asked me before, do you think Jesus is literally coming back to this world? I said, absolutely. Of course I do. He's literally coming back. You don't have to hide from that. God said those brothers would bow down in that dream. And there you see the fulfillment. And it didn't happen in a week or two weeks or two years. And it didn't happen in some, uh, maybe I have to interpret that. Maybe they weren't really bowing down. The Bible includes they bow down with their faces to the ground. The fulfillment of something that's crazy, that looked like it can never happen, happened. What's impossible to the human eye is possible with God. I love that. What is impossible to the human eye is possible with God. Otherwise, God wouldn't be God, would he? God shows exactly who he is. And you see, Joseph had the confidence after all those years to stay true to his God. God gave him this dream. God showed him what would happen. And he stayed 
true to God. He trusted God. He was faithful to God through the whole thing. It's amazing, isn't it? That's why out of all the stories, out of all the people that have ever lived up to this time and after this time, that's why this this story is so impactful. It's a story of God and how God works in spite of people, including these brothers. Joseph felt it was his duty all these years. It was his responsibility to do what is right. Many times we live in a world that's got its hand out. We do something and want to be rewarded for that. But with God's people, we simply do it because it's the right thing to do. Joseph wasn't getting the medal from the Egyptian God Council for worshiping his God. Joseph was doing what was right because it was right before God. And God saw it. And that made all the difference in the world. And Joseph saw God and God saw Joseph. And God was faithful to him. What's impossible to the human eye is possible with God. And what seemed impossible at that time, I can't even imagine if I could we could ever go back when we get to heaven and look at this in encapsulation on a video or if there's any such thing. I'm just dreaming, right? I'd love to see what that meeting was like, wouldn't you? I would love to be able to see what was happening in that meeting. It must have been incredible. But I want you to see something that's important. There's another great lesson that comes from what we're seeing right here. Listen carefully. Talk about pride. Pride meets with a great fall. Pride meets with a great fall. Let's go back to Genesis 37, and let's look at some words that the brothers said. Remember? Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of the cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Imagine that. We know the brothers said a lot more than that. But God records those words for us to see because those brothers, when they said, then we'll see what comes of his dreams, well, you know what? They're going to see what comes of that because they're doing it right there. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. If there's ever a verse in the word of God that depicts what you and I should dwell in and be about, it's found in Proverbs 29, 23. And if there's ever a verse found in the Word of God that describes two different types of people, the Joseph people and the brothers, I want you to see this. Proverbs 29, 23. A man's pride brings him low. How did the brothers bow? They bowed down with their faces to the ground. A man's pride brings him low. And it's 20 plus years later. But the fulfillment is there because nothing can stop God's counsel. Nothing can stop God's counsel. Second part of that says, but a man of lowly spirit gains honor. Joseph and his brothers, the people with that haughty spirit, they're brought really low. And lowly Joseph, as a slave, sold as a commodity, slandered, put in prison, he's brought to a place of honor. You see, nothing can stop the counsel of God from taking place. God said that was going to happen. And here's what's crazy. 
I know we all believe God's omniscient and really, really smart, right? Just look around you. The, the invisible things of God are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, so man's without excuse, Romans 1.20. But I want you to see something. This, I pray this gives you so much hope. It's so redemptive. I want you to listen to it because some of you are in the midst of some things right now where some people may be putting things into your life that are affecting, well, maybe some really personal things. But I want you to see something. Look at this particular uh, dynamic from this passage. Joseph's brothers tried their best to prevent the fulfillment of his dream, didn't they? They tried their best and, and gave it their best. And really, according to all human means, they should have prevented that dream from taking place. But this is, once again, we think God is really smart. I want you to see just how powerful God works since he puts trillions of pieces together simultaneously in a millisecond to make it all work to his will and his way. But, wow, all the while these brothers were working toward its fulfillment. Isn't that crazy? All the while, while they're thinking they've taken care of Joseph, they send him to the very place where the very fulfillment of that dream would take place. Let me ask you something. Did you and I think about a plan like that? We looked at it and said, what's wrong with these guys? And they did. certainly it was sinful and wrong and all that. But God can even take that. And he used that to bring about the very fulfillment. You may have some antagonists in your life right now. I've had some over the course of life. No doubt you have. But I have seen this type of principle take place time and again. The very thing people plan and look like they've thwarted comes to an end. The very things they were doing to thwart something are the very things God has used to vindicate. And these guys thought they had self-vindicated. They'd taken care of the problem of Joseph, and God uses the very thing that they did. How ironic! The very thing they did to bring about that kind of a humbling in their life. Don't forget that. Go through with the faith and trust of Joseph. Go through with the faith and trust of the patriarchs that use those things in those life, the famines, the hardships, the trials, to grow their faith, to be able to see their uh, trust tested, that even if they would starve, they would trust God. All the while, what they did was working toward the dream's fulfillment. I don't know the functioning of a being called Jehovah God, how that mind works. But to put together things like this and have it happen in the way, orchestrate the way it has, we have an truly, we have an awesome God, don't we? And I pray that encourages you as you go forward in life because the appointed time will come. The appointed time is coming. See, Joseph's brothers didn't realize something. They didn't realize how incredible are the workings of God. The time will come and we'll meet the one who will appoint us to our true place. There's a point of time coming for you and I also. There is an appointed time 20 plus years later for those brothers to go and meet the brother they as good as thought was dead to a place they thought was not a place of blessing but a place of curse and a reminder of their guilt. 
and they literally bow down with their faces to the ground. The time will come when, friend, whatever has been an antagonist in your life, whatever situations you have been facing, whatever hardships you've made to make sure you're using your time, your effort, your resources for the kingdom of God, whatever hassles you've received from friends or families, however lonesome you may feel sometimes when you watch a show or watch the news and feel like, am I the only one that knows about righteous things and holy things and truth? There's going to come a time. It's a point of time, and it will come. 1 Thessalonians 5.9 says this, For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. I've got a trophy today. It's not by any means my best trophy by the detail and the size of it, and, but it's from the 1940s. I selected this today for a particular reason. And I'll tell you about that reason in just a moment. But some of you have run track before or done something that is really hard. But as a former distance runner, I can relate to this in a lot of ways. Paul used the analogy of the running, didn't he? Run the race. But you don't have to be your runner to understand this. When you're getting toward the finish line, and I've been at that place many times, finishing, your lungs are burning. You're breathing in and it's like fire. Your legs, each one is like a bag of cement. And you're trying to push forward to give it your absolute best. There's going to come an appointed time. And when you feel like that, and you've pushed forward, pushed in the midst of the suffering, the pain, and you cross the finish line to see Jesus. It's all going to be worth it. You see, why I select this trophy, this is a team trophy. As a church, I want us all to cross the finish line. You see, track is a team and an individual sport. I depend, God depends on you to do your part in this church or whatever church you attend to be a part of that because to win the team trophy, everybody has to do well. I pray that you're pushing to get across that line. I know your lungs may be burning now. I know those legs may feel like bags of cement, but God wants you to cross because one day that appointed time is going to come. It'll be here sooner than we think. One way or the other, it'll get here quickly. If you're really young now, a teenager in your 20s or 30s, trust me, it happens fast. You turn around and there it is. Even this past week with several of our people not being able to be with their spouses in the hospital, wanting to, but they can't because of the current uh, pandemic. I want our whole church to win that trophy for Christ. I want us to go across together, everyone pushing together, reemerging stronger, not being discouraged in this, but being encouraged in this, that God is even in the midst of all that's taking place. Let me just say this to you. I've had people this week that just happened to look, someone told them about our church. They've gone on the site. They watched the message, got some nice emails and calls from some people, had some great conversations. God's connecting people. Heard wonderful things from a lot of your classes, how God's working in that, touching other lives as the world watches us. 
How do we suffer? How do we endure hardship? We push through. Lungs burning, legs heavy. We push through because the word of God says, bring up that last slide again, if you would. God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, the wrath of eternal hell. Didn't appoint that, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to cross that line one day at the appointed time, and it's going to be a wonderful thing. Come run with me as we go together for that prize. I pray today that if you've been carrying some guilt in your heart, the appointed time's here for that, to let it go. The appointed time is now. Don't wait for it. It's never too soon to deal with the guilt, and it's never too late to deal with the guilt. Deal with it now. Do is what the Holy Spirit has asked you to do and get rid of it. Move on from it. Don't give it any more power or free rent in your brain. If there's been some things where you've stepped over the line and sinned against God, sinned against people, deal with it and move on in the power of God because there's an appointed time. God doesn't want you dragging across the, the finish line like the brothers looking at each other. What do we do now? He wants us to go across strong. So give it to him today. Let him have it. Give it to him. Confess it to him. If there's people you need to go to and, and apologize or whatever that is, do it. Sometimes there is, sometimes there isn't. But first and foremost, start with God, and he will bless your life. At the appointed time, what looked like it was impossible to people was not impossible to God. God wants you. He wants me. He wants us as a team to cross the line in victory. God bless you for listening today. I pray God has blessed you by the preaching and teaching of his word.